Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our summit of Meet the Authors of our Forgotten Children book series. For some time now, after listening to so many wonderful people on my podcast on selfdiscoverywisdom.com, I have learned that there is a need for change in our children's lives. There are so many things that we're letting our children down with. The educational system, the medical system, supporting families, allowing our children to be different, embracing those differences and supporting them in who they are and not dictating what they should be. I have put together for you a book with 15 authors, including myself, who have contributed a chapter on the subject. Some of them are teachers, some of them are parents, some of them are advocates for children, some of them are advocates for parents. Each one has dedicated this chapter so that they may enlighten you and, and show you that where the problem is and what we need to do to change and provide the solution. They are also supporting organizations that are already supporting children or families. So all of the proceeds from this book will be divided out amongst the authors to support those organizations already in play. Through the many years I've been doing podcasting, listening to the stories and hearing some of the things that are quite horrific, quite honestly, and knowing that there is a desperate need to invest in our children, to be there for our children on all levels, that they are the leaders of tomorrow. And if we do not support them now in their youth and give them all that they need to be their abundant selves, we're going to have dysfunctional leadership. And maybe that is what is the wrong problem for the world right now. So let's step up. We need to change things up. And it's each one of us that is going to make it happen. Not just the authors of this book, but the readers. Because once you know, now you know. What are you going to do about it? Talk about it. Start the conversation. Have conversations with the school system. Things do not change unless we make them change. And the changes come from the level of the people that it most affects, parents. So let us listen to what our children need and let us be there and supportive for them. I'm very, very honored to have all of these people contribute their chapter and their time. And I hope that you will enjoy each one of them as they share what their chapter is about, who they are and what their organization is. It's purely been a delight and a joy to put this together. And this is just book one in the series. There will be at least three books I anticipate. There will also be a forgotten senior series. I'm very dedicated into doing this and bringing this awareness because sometimes we're just simply unaware of what is happening. And when we are aware, we can care and we can step into action. So please do enjoy our authors. And the book will be out extremely soon. And uh, it's going to be an audio. It's going to be a paperback. It's going to be an ebook. And any which way that you wish to listen, read or watch it, it's there for you. Please do share. Bring it to your school. Take it to your medical people. Let's start educating what is needed for our children. So do enjoy and thank you. So really going to make a difference. So she's a Montessori teacher and or has been and has an awful lot to share with us is Mickey Gaffin Stone talking about mental health education matters. Share your chapter with us, Mickey. Hi, Sarah, and thank you so much for involving me in this project. It is so powerful, and 
I know my co-authors are incredible people who all come from a different perspective. And that's just so exciting. This is the most well-rounded project I think I've ever come across. So kudos to you for putting together something incredible here. And I think for our forgotten children, this is going to be so powerful. It's just, yeah, it's a pleasure to be a part of this. My pleasure so, to have you. Thank you. So I, I'm a board certified behavior analyst, but there's a journey behind that title. And when I was growing up, I was in a very unsafe environment. I didn't know from one moment to the next whether I needed to run and hide or, you know, if I was okay to be where I was. And the adults around me were unpredictable. That's one way of putting it. So I started to study behavior from a very early age, trying to predict what was coming and what I needed to do about it. Then added to that mix, I was also traveling. I've been moving since I was six months old and I've now lived in eight different countries. Mm -hmm. So I can't even count how many moves I made within country, but the reasons weren't always good ones as to why we were moving. Sometimes it was to escape some uh, traumatic situations, shall we say. As I grew up, I realized that things weren't the same in every country I lived in. There were different values, different sort of ideas about the child's role, the parent's role, and what we all meant to each other. It, it was hugely different. Then as time progressed, I had two children myself and I still kept moving. And I, raising my kids, moving country to country meant I had to deal with different languages, different cultures. And I also had kids with special needs, with extra needs. So navigating all of those things, I suddenly realized, wait, I don't have a role model for this. I don't have resources for this. What am I gonna do? And I tried to figure out the best I could. And I looked at the parenting books and frankly, they were great doorstops, but they weren't very helpful <laughs> for information. You know, they weren't talking about my child. And, and later I realized they're talking about the child in the middle of the bell curve. And the bell curve of course, doesn't actually exist. So it's, it's this sort of notional child that they're talking about. So when you've looked at those parenting books and you find that that's not your kid in there, that's because it's not your child in there. So how was I gonna navigate this? Well, sometimes I tried some pretty unique things and most of them worked out, thankfully. But as time went on, I realized, you know, there are a lot of parents out there that don't have support. They have kids with special needs. They have kids with different issues going on. Frankly, surviving in society can be an issue all on its own. We have so many things that our children are dealing with now from the internet and AI to just different social skills. Kids are just different species to what we were when we were kids. So how can parents navigate that? Because there's just so many different things that we're facing and we don't have a background for that. So I went into studying behavior, behavior analysis, and I found that this particular field can also be rather, shall we say, stuck or um, particular about what they're gonna work on and not work on. So I wanted it to be a little bit more individual than that, a lot more individual actually, and really work for the family and the child. So that's what I do now. I take the experience I've had, the learning that I did, and I put it all together and produced this chapter for this book, which covers everything from boundaries and the child's perspective to how the parent can navigate other people's judgment. 
right? Because we've all been in the store where you're just about to check out and your kid decides to throw a tantrum because they want something. And chances are they've experienced that that tantrum worked last time, right? You, you give them the thing because you want them to quieten down. Well, you've just reinforced that behavior. There's that and a whole lot more in this chapter because I just wanted to give a snapshot of different things that we face and what it actually means and how you can handle that differently. So a different perspective, something outside of the box. So that's what my chapter's all about. And the organization that I'm supporting is Amit Children. And this is for children, it's providing critical therapy for children who are in traumatic situations and are emerging from trauma. This is work that is so needed right now that I cannot support it enough. We need as much as we can for this. This whole project has been amazing. And Sarah, you've put together this incredible group of people, this profound work, and I love your contribution as well. So thank you so much for involving me in this project. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much for being a part of it. And of course, everybody looks at children either well-behaved or bad-behaved, but they're actually just reacting. And so if we can show them how to react and maybe address in a different way, it won't come out in a behavior that is deemed bad. Um, so yes, that's a behavior we need to understand, our own behavior towards our children, because our children mimic everything that we do as well. So thank you very much for your chapter. The glitch. Okay. Um, my my chapter it's about awareness. Um, and the reason the reason I chose awareness it's because finding shows that foster youths are one of the most vulnerable subgroup of people living in the United States of America. So many people does not know children are in foster care, but not understanding the poor educational outcomes for you. Every year we have about. 20 plus to 30,000 children age out of the foster care um, system with poor educational outcomes. 70% um, end up in the criminal justice system, homelessness, sex trafficking, and an high rate of unemployment. So my, my, my goal is to get the word out there, build communities, educate massive about the need to support foster youth education. 50% of you drops out of high school, unable to read or take a GD test to pass it. And my reason that got me so involved, not only in foster care, but in the educational aspects of children in foster care, is coming from a family where my mom couldn't read because she was denied the opportunity of going to school as a little girl. Because she raised in an abusive environment and um, never gone to school. And I, she was able to understand the power of having a good education. I, as a little girl, along with my siblings, we all grew up, taught my mom how to sign her name hand over hand and teach her how to write her name, because not even that she was able to do, because she has never been to school a day in her life. Um, my dad was unable to read um, because my dad lost his mom when he was four years old and the struggle became, you know, growing up too fast and, you know, trying to make a life for himself and take care of himself the best way he know how. And to see them understanding the power of education with their limitations and 
I can sit here and say that I'm an HBCU grad um, because of my parents. So that really put me in and in, in just stepping into that framework for another child that no child that get abused or in a neglected situation should ever be denied the opportunity, be that voice for them in helping them to leave school with a 12th grade education or read to the best of their ability, move on to college or a vocational training program. So that's why I wrote that chapter and wanting as much awareness to be out there for people to understand the need to support them and that they are not just bad kids because some people have the idea that they're just bad kids they are the reason why they're in foster care oh they get everything in foster care oh they didn't want it but i'm just here to educate the massive and let you know story is not always that uh, my organization is rubies and life and path name after my mom it's a nonprofit, 5013C nonprofit organization, and it's a book club. We focus on reading and discussion to broaden comprehension skills. Uh, currently, where we um, the the, organ the website is under construction and um, soon to be launched, and a launch date will be announced soon. You can look for us on Facebook and Instagram um, as the vehicle to put out the new launch date for our book club. So I hope everybody, you know, go out, support the book, promote the book as much as we can. And people will go out, support the book and read the book and learn about each other's organization and how they could be of service. Because sometimes we're looking place to serve, but don't know where to serve. So I hope this will be an avenue to help us to figure out these are some places that we can serve. Thank you very much, Novelette. Perfect, thank lovely. Thank you for being a part of it, most certainly. Our next guest is Buddy Thornton. Uh, hi, Buddy. In the book. And your chapter, what is it all about? I know you've actually got some graphics in there, so you really go into detail for people. But please do share what your chapter is and your organization. No. I'm a professional mediator and one of the areas that I work in the most is in parent and teen mediation because there's a lot of conflict between teens and the world around them. And some people have a misconception of exactly why that dynamic occurs, especially in today's society. And when I wrote my chapter, I focused on defining the different types of families around the world and what we find in society. Because in dealing with the parents and the teens, <clears throat> I find that most of them have a misconception of, and they have an expectation of what is the perfect family. And we all should know that there is no such thing as a perfect family. Nobody has a perfect family. And there are so many different dynamic ways to put together a family that it need to be defined. And so I took it upon myself to include that in the book to give people the idea to see that, you know, they don't have to have an expectation, what they should do is they should focus on what they have and then making it better over time. You know, my organization uh, is Ameren Nation and our nonprofit is called Ameren Soul. And we have a program that focuses on uh, teens especially, but we focus on mental health awareness and we focus on suicide prevention. And a lot of suicide prevention ideation is wrapped around mental health, but a lot of it should be wrapped around children and what their expectations are about social socialization and how they fit within the universe. So by helping them self-define better 
what their family is and that it actually does fit regardless of what type of family it is, we reduce suicide dramatically. Uh, you know, it's very important. And I think this book is very important that we realize that children, <clears throat> unless they are embraced and loved on a daily basis, do believe they're forgotten and ignored. And so uh, it is amazing what you've put together here. I feel blessed and and have a lot of pride in that, you know, I'm even allowed to be in this conversation. It's uh, it, really important for people to realize that I come from a background that was very difficult. I was the only one in my family who went to college, but I have a doctorate and <clears throat> I am a great, great grandfather. I have children who are all in their late forties to mid forties, grandchildren, the youngest is 24. And then I have a pile of great grandchildren. So I, not only do I know what I'm talking about in the parent space, but I can go multiple generations deep and I can tell you exactly how the dynamic changes over time. And so it's very important that people reach out to professionals like you have in this book and give us the time to help them. That's more important. It isn't about us getting any kind of notoriety. It's about us making an impact in the world. And I think that your book is going to allow us to do that. And thank you very much. That is the purpose behind the book. You know, being aware, care, step up, let's do something together. So thank you very, very much, buddy. Our next contributor is Christina Cadera. Thanks, Sarah. I'm excited to be here because I am representing the parents who are struggling to find resources and support for their kids. And these are parents who are not only dealing with their special needs child on a daily basis, but who on top of that have to jump over hurdles and find loopholes and break down walls to try to find some sort of solution that will help their child. And we are exhausted and defeated and alone. And in the school system, there are so few resources that kids aren't even considered for support until they fail so catastrophically that the board can't possibly look away. And how does a kid recover from that? Like, is it even possible? And how does the parent recover from that? Like my child was not learning, he was not thriving in the classroom, but he wasn't given any support until he started hurting other kids. And now he's the kid who hurts other kids and I'm the mom of that kid. And what's the first thing that people say when they see a violent child? Oh, well, there must be something wrong in the home. His parents must be violent. Maybe he's being abused or neglected. And so as the parent, there goes any possibility of connecting with, with my peers and getting support from what is usually the most supportive community for parents. And so three important cornerstones of trauma are powerlessness, shame, and isolation. And I tried so hard to be the parent that my child needed. I tried so hard for him and our family to get the help that would make a difference. But the experts that we accessed, they just didn't have the answers. <laughs> like I ended up bravely implementing solution after solution and enduring the tantrums and, and the lashing out with that was usually towards me as the mom and the, the major behavior management person. And I had all of these conflicting emotions that come from loving this child so much, but also being afraid of him and afraid to send him to school because I know it's hard for him. And I know it's just a matter of time before he hurts someone again, but also being completely stuck because I have no choice. I have no other options. I have to work. I have to pay the bills. 
So we end up in a place of shame, powerlessness, and isolation. And it felt like nobody understood what I was going through. And not one of the supports that we accessed and waited months for, for my child, offered me any support as a parent. And so how can we continue to endure, continue to fight, and to be the warrior that our child needs when we ourselves are crumbling on the inside? And to be honest, we're not crumbling from supporting the child. Like, yeah, that's hard. But what really made me crumble was not being able to find him the help that he needed, despite my tremendous efforts. And it felt like accessing services was like trying to climb over a wall. And once I finally made it to the top and accessed the service that I had been like waitlisted and pushing for, I just ended up sliding right back down because it didn't work. Because so often at the top of that wall was like a a super well-meaning 20-year-old, fresh out of school, eager to put their skills into practice, and they were just no match for my son. So I had to find another wall to climb over and over again, another service to access in the hope that it might help. So I ended up as a parent of a special needs child and four children, spending my energy climbing, trying to access these services instead of being with my family. So I was climbing and getting nowhere. So in my chapter, I describe what it feels like to be a parent of a violent child and how it overcame those feelings of failure and shame to be able to finally help him and to end up growing a, a strong and loving relationship with him. And my chapter is about how I found what I needed to be able to continue to be the parent that I wanted to be for him and my three other kids. And so in sharing my story and my solutions, I hope that other parents who are working so hard to support their kids will find inspiration, solutions, and hope that they too can thrive even through the trauma of parenting. And the organization that I'm supporting is the Parents Lifeline of Eastern Ontario, which is a peer-led, led by parents, organization that runs support groups for parents. And it also champions systemic change. And its goal is to create a more family-focused approach to mental health care for, for our kids. So I'm Christina Coderre. I'm on a mission to help exhausted parents find happiness and fulfillment in the daily grind so that they can end up modeling that joy for their kids. And I spent the first 10 years of my parenting journey just trying to cope and keep up with the chaos of juggling work and family. And I ended up burning out and I don't want that for you. We parents do not have time for burnout, but we also don't have the luxury of taking a break. So I created the MindBS method to give parents a fast and effective solution that's going to get us better while we are working and parenting and tending to our many responsibilities. And so I want to help all of the fierce parents out there get back to shining as the heroes we freaking are and actually living a happy life, even when things are harder, especially when things are hard, because we all deserve it and we and our kids deserve the best of us. Wonderful. Thank you. And yes, we must not forget in the whole mix of this, uh, the parents, because if the parents are in trouble, so will be the children and support needs to be all around. So thank you so much. Love that. It's really wonderful. Our next wonderful author is Alexander Johnson. Alexander has also got a book coming out called uh, Dare to Live Fearlessly, which I am in. Um, and really, quite honestly, parenting, uh, being a teacher, raising children is some fierceness needs to come into that. So welcome, Alexander. 
Hi, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me be a part of this amazing and amazing anthology. You know, it's quite honored to be able to share. And so my name is Alexandria Johnson. I'm from the Bahamas. I'm a clinical psychologist and child forensic specialist. I'm also a youth pastor. So that puts me in a unique position. You know, I get to provide the psychological support, but then there's also a spiritual side of me as well. But um, for the first nine years of my career, I had the amazing opportunity of working with children and teens in an inpatient setting in a psychiatric hospital. And um, I enjoyed my time there because I had an opportunity to, to help them just sort through things and just sit and have a conversation with them and just inspire hope. But one of the amazing things that happened throughout my journey there is that I had an amazing opportunity to work with children who were sent to us for help from the courts. You see, these children would have committed crimes and these children would have been sent to us for help. And so one of the things that I would have found and, you know, I've became the champion for them at my job and in my community one of the things that I've found is that when you sit with these children, irrespective of what it is that they would have done, when you sit with them, you see the innocence of a child, but you also get to have an upfront and close look at the pain that they would have experienced. You know, I was not one of the adults and nor would I ever be the adult that called, you know, it's a child that would have been caught up in the justice system, a wild child, because I know all too well that beyond that, there's a lot of pain, there's history of abuse, there's history of trauma, you know, there's history of them just being in environments, you know, with people who did not model the right things, did not model the right habits. And so in my chapter, I make an, I make an appeal for compassion. You know, throughout my career, I've also able to do a lot of research. And so what I've done in my chapter is I would have compiled three of my research projects to be able to add scientific meat so that people get to see, you know, understand the child, the inner workings of a child who may have been caught up in, a, in the justice system. And so my chapter is an invitation for compassion and love and care for people to not just look at what it is that this child has done, but Honor, honor this child for who they are, a child, a human being that deserves love, irrespective of what it is that they would have done. And so that's that's what my chapter is about. And I hope to inspire people who work with children who are caught up in the, the, the justice system to have a little bit more compassion and concern and just to inspire people to just, hey, rather than say, make a judgment and say, this, this is a bad child. This, this child did some bad things, have a different thought. And so that is what my chapter is about. And the organization that I support is called Salt and Light International. So this organization is geared toward promoting psychological and spiritual wellness in persons across the lifespan. And children and adolescents is a subgroup of people that we help and support as well. So once again, Sarah, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this project. I can't wait to get this, pro this book into my country and to share, share, share. 
Oh, thank you very much. It's absolutely wonderful for all the authors and your contributions that you are doing here. And we are the difference that these children need. Uh, now, our next person is actually Victoria Curry. And unfortunately, Victoria could not be here with us today. Um, her daughter has actually been in hospital since uh, December 23rd, uh, has had 12 operations and has been fighting for her life. Thankfully, she has awoken and she's back with us, but has a long recovery. But I'm just going to read a little bit of what Victoria is about. Uh, Victoria Curry is from the Contagious Smile. She has a podcast called Contagious Smile. She offers 16 years of support with families with special needs and domestic violence, having been um, beaten up while pregnant by her then husband. Um, and she's a woman that literally has to plug herself in at night, has lost her hand, um, has many disabilities herself, but she's there for everyone else. Uh, so it's needs for domestic and violent survivors. And as a special needs individual, parent and domestic violence survivor, she deeply understands the challenges in finding assistance. Her platform provides a, a judgment-free support, classes, legal help and more, and is a community of understanding where everyone has shared their still experiences, um, similar experiences. And her chapter actually has been written in the format of a story of a young boy that actually is in a wheelchair and, and how kind of people just don't see him or kind of annoyed by him or, you know, people with disabilities are kind of dismissed and put to the background. And it's how a dog comes into this child's life and how through the dog and uh, through uh, this child getting around changes the community's point of view and perspective on children with disability and very much needed. So we thank Victoria for her contribution into this book as well. Uh, so our next wonderful author is Nancy Cotton. Nancy, welcome. Please tell us about your chapter. Oh, thank you, Sarah, so much for giving me the opportunity to write the chapter on autism. I um, have a grandson who is on the spectrum, and uh, I also was a child care director. I am now retired, but I watched parents come through the center, those that had children on the spectrum, and they had not slept many times. They were worried about their children with aggression, with anxiety, with all kinds of situations that they could, had no control over. And I uh, had so much empathy for them. And um, so I did a lot of research after retirement uh, and I became an uh, autism advocate, and I've met with many, many, many parents. Uh, they are uh, struggling because uh, it's hard. Um, thinking about what Christina said, <laughs> trying to get all kinds of uh, help for their children, and it's it's really, really a, a hard struggle, and many times those parents divorce because the stress is so much. And uh, so they need support groups. They need financial help from the federal government as well as the state. They need help from the schools. Uh, and many, many times they are denied and uh, they have to really, really advocate for those children. Uh, the Actually, the organization that I am, am representing is uh, my church. Uh, many, many churches do not have programs for children who are on the spectrum. So those parents are not able to go to church. Uh, thank goodness there are ways that they can watch on TV. 
but um, that's not the same as having that um, personal relationship with people uh, whenever you are in church and, and they need that. And so this will go to help um, the children who have autism or any other kind of disability. Um, you know, the CDC, our Centers for Disease Control say that one in 44 children now are being uh, diagnosed on the spectrum. And that is just unheard of. It's, it's, it's just rampant. And uh, there is really not any cause that they can nail down. Theories say that it could be environmental toxins, it could be uh, neurological problems, uh, maybe genetics, um, but no one knows for sure exactly what's causing it. But there are ways that these uh, problems can be mitigated. Um, a lot of these children have gut issues and there are supplements that can help those. There's um, aggression and anxiety that they, um, have problems with and and there are things that can help those there's actually natural things that can help and i i know about some of those that i've researched um but i really um i have such a heart for those folks that are having difficulty we've had some really wonderful people that have um, been successful as autistic folks um i'm thinking of temple grandin is one um Dan Aykroyd is one, several that have just really been successful in life. And uh, we want our children to have those opportunities as they mature, um, trying to find housing that can support them, vocation type um, opportunities are, are necessary, just different things that can help them to be successful in life. So I really appreciate being able to share on uh, in this book. I'm excited about it coming out and um, can't wait to see the whole book. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you for your contribution. And autism is very much misunderstood and has a very broad spectrum. And uh, we need to shed more light on it, not with judgment, but more with understanding. Our next uh, wonderful author is Lachelle Atkins. And Lachelle Atkins just happens to be a mom of 15 children. So I think she knows a little bit about kids. And she's going to talk about her chapter and her organization. Hello, Lachelle. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sarah, for having me uh, be a part of this project. It's something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, I've had my own journey of... Um, struggling with my childhood, with beliefs and how it showed up in my life. So I overcame 13 years of depression. And my chapter that I chose to write about is a mom's love language. And I think oftentimes we're groomed to uh, be molded and programmed into how people think we should be, rather than being able to explore the different gifts that we have. And so that was something that I believed, you know, I felt like I had to say the right things, do the right things uh, in order to show up, uh, whether it was in a career or uh, as a mom or as a wife, uh, just a number of things. And so I think it's important for us to understand and help children to understand that, you know, you're not broken. 
a lot of times we start to believe that we're broken because we compare ourselves to other people, but helping them to nurture the gifts that they have, even though they may be unique from other people. Uh, so helping them to identify exactly what it is that makes them different and that difference makes them uh, special in a way that only they can shine. And so I think as we uh, go on our journey, a lot of times we lose that uh, by trying to fit into everyone else's mode or believing that there's only one way to do something. There's only one way to be a cook. There's only one way to be a good mom. And so we, it, I think it's important to expose kids to understand that there's more than one hamburger place, right? You know, everybody's not a McDonald's, but there's also Burger King, there's Checkers, there's a number of different places. And we sometimes limit uh, our children from their creativity because if it's something that we don't understand or we don't feel that we're good at, instead of guiding them and directing them to somebody who is, we just begin to kind of uh, minimize or, you know, cause them to dim their light over things that we don't understand uh, or um, agree with. And so I think it's really important to equip our kids with the confidence to be different, uh, also to respect the differences that we have and realize that it's not an or in a situation, but it's an and. It's an and in a sense to where we're coming from abundance and understanding that, you know, there's a variation of gifts, strengths, talents that we all bring to the table. Uh, the charity that I'm representing is Children's Hospital of Atlanta. Um, as you mentioned, we do have 15 children and uh, it was eight years ago that my children lost their grandfather through lung cancer. And it was at that time that I just immediately tried to figure out what is something that I'm going to uh, do that's going to help to have a positive outcome with uh, this experience because they were very close to their grandfather. So many traditions were wrapped into um, visiting with them and holidays. And so uh, that's when we began to be active with uh, Children's Hospital of Atlanta and bringing joy to children that were uh, suffering with um, cancer and finding a way that they could understand, even as kids, that they can bring uh, joy to children, whether it was raising awareness, uh, taking coloring books to them, or just visiting them in the hospital. And so that is what I'm passionate about. And I just think, you know, having opportunities to collaborate in these type of projects are so important because the passion that we have, it shows up in different ways. I'm sorry if you hear some background noise. I do still have 10 kids at home and one is a singer. So she's singing. Uh, so you guys might not be able to hear it, but it's uh, a little noisy in the background. But when we come together, we're able to uh, bring different vantage points together that can create a greater impact, you know, uh, all over the world, not just in your local area, but wherever you are in the world coming together, uh, that always makes your light shine brighter. So I am just honored to be a part of this. And thank you so much for the opportunity, Sarah. 
you are most welcome absolutely and as i said we forget about the parenting side of things you know uh, our kids just, our kids are sponges and so they're going to sponge uh, you know of how we react to things and how we address things and who we are so yes we want to be the best example but we also want to show them that we're actually human as well and that it's okay to be flawsome. Our next wonderful uh, author is Shwapna Abraham, uh, and she is a musician who has actually done a thousand um, thousand songs over a thousand days. She broke a record. Uh, she did adult songs where she wrote and directed and produced the song, and then she added, just for fun, to do a thousand children's songs, which are going to be put together in five books. Um, wonderful short songs that kids can adapt and adopt and sing along to. So welcome, Schwapner. Thank you, Sarah. I'm deeply honored to be in this book with such esteemed authors and so edified by the sharings through this call. Um, my chapter is a few notes on music. Well, you've been very kind to introduce me as a world record holder, so on and so forth. It was actually 2,321 songs through the thousand days. And that was after 20 odd albums in and but there's so much of a story to that. And the few notes on music, I don't think I've been able to convey in my chapter what I'm thinking about just now after listening to what my co-authors have been sharing here. I left my parents when I was four years old and my father was a choir master. So one thing that I remembered from home was um, there was always music. So what I took to boarding school was a little battery organ that my father gave me to take. And he said, every time you miss home, just keep playing that. Um, so music for me, right from the age of four, perhaps even before that, it was just something very familiar. But from the age of four, it was my saving grace. Of course, my faith was much later on in life. But um, all through my 11 years of being away from my parents, I'd see them only for the holidays. And, then, and just that difficulty of growing up too soon in life, um, abuse, and just all kinds of experiences. And then after that, um, um, an abuse of marriage, and while being a missionary, which was the irony, and um, just single parenting and all the, the difficulty of that. I'm coming to realize now that if I did not have that background of music, and which is why I, I keep mentioning in that chapter how important music is, whether it is um, for our mental health, our physical well-being, it's for worship, it's for entertainment, it's for celebration, it's for creating impact, it's for communicating, it's for making it, you know, just building ambience or whatever that is. It, it is such a deep and spiritual means of expression, communication, and I think it's really good for not just children, which comes through in that ch children's song book that, I, that you spoke about, Sarah, a children's song a day, but even for parents, grandparents, nannies, and just about anyone who would listen to those songs because we've all been, and to some extent, we still are, have the child in us. Those songs speak to us. The sp songs spoke to me when I was in the studio singing some of them. I actually had to pause and, 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 and 
take the song in because they're very deep, some of them. They're not nursery rhymes. There are a few fun songs, a lot of fun songs, actually. But then there are some of them which, uh, what makes us think that children don't have those deep emotions, you know? So um, I- I'm really glad that I could write this chapter. And um, for me personally, it, it got me the honorary doctorate in music. I was able to write a book about the journey and lessons to those thousand days, four world records. Everyone knows me as the singer, songwriter, so on and so forth. But truly, music for me has been my saving grace. And I believe that for parents and children, if they can have a few notes along with them in life, if they learn at some point, it is going to take them a, a deeper and longer way in life. Um, the organization that I would like to champion is one that belongs to Sharon and Stephen from South Africa called Hopelands. It is a residential initiative for abandoned and orphaned children. Um, I met Stephen and Sharon um, when we were doing our Everest Space Camp trek together and they spoke to me about this beautiful place, this home that they have in South Africa. And I was so moved. You see, people talk a lot about their initiatives, but when you meet people and, and such, such incredible goodness flows out of them, you're just immediately touched by what they support. You know what I mean? So you can go on their website, hopelands.org, and see it. But I was touched by them, and, and, and I, 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 I really feel for um, the children that they're raising over there uh, who are without their parents, um, and I relate to that as well. So. Thank you very much, Sarah. And I, I, I'm just waiting for this book to be out. I know it's going to be very powerful. Thank you. Oh, music is something that I think everybody can relate to in one form or other. And I think that when we induce, uh, introduce music to our children, we're giving them a form of expression that they need uh, to to speak, to understand, to express themselves, um, but also to release you know, anything that might be going on in their life. So it's uh, truly... Uh, um, a wonderful chapter, so thank you very much. So our next wonderful author is Laurie Changer. Uh, Laurie, um, she is a person that is, um, you know, an educator uh, to, to rise to greater heights of foundation, uh, to acknowledge uh, the award acknowledges accomplishments of individuals, and um, you know, it's it's wonderful to to see somebody so dedicated to children, as all of you are, but this is the reason why you're here in this book, is that dedication. So Laurie, please come along and tell us about your chapter. Hi, and thank you. I just, um, you know, listening to everybody's stories and realizing that, you know, something that this book is going to be doing is showing us that we have superpowers from our pain and how much wisdom we have when we can tap into that and have the healthy mindset to grow us forward. So my chapter is called How to Live Internally in an an External World. My background is in addictions. I teach an addictions program part-time and I have a program for youth called Black Sheep Academy to help youth and children be seen, heard, and understood. Because part of addictions that maybe we overlook is that there's an addictive mindset that we tell ourselves when we come from a family narrative of poverty, abuse, addictions, et cetera. And so I'm trying to help find people be more connected to their internal language 
And my chapter is more specifically about how we lose our identity to our family narrative and to technology. And so it's a chapter really to help parents with children who are, you know, in this computer age and how the computers seem to be overtaking their life, where we can reverse that by changing our mindset, by realizing that even though we have a lot of technology around us that we have to use, don't forget about using your internal self to be able to survive that and to be able to manage and to see that I am more of the bigger picture of the world. Um, I've partnered with Dr. Ali Lancarini from Role Model Maker and a UNICEF project, which is helping to understand the bigger conditions that are leading to child trafficking. So that's the big project that I am very blessed to be a part of. I have done quite a number of shows on child trafficking and the statistics are absolutely horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And everybody thinks it's just runaway kids or addictive kids. And no, it isn't. Um, it's across the board and it happens right under people's noses. And the more aware and the more we pay attention, the more we can perhaps save, you know, a child's life. So a wonderful work that you're doing there, Laurie. And thank you very, very much. Our next wonderful contributor is Deborah Staunton. Uh, Deborah speaks in her chapter, and, and it is, it is a heavy chapter in the sense of how she talks about her struggles, much like um, um, Laurie beforehand. It's the, you know, it's the um, Christina rather the struggles of dealing with a child with a disruptive uh, mood disorder. So, Deborah. Um, the lack of support and the lack of understanding of what you've been going through and you know is definitely very very high you know much the same as i said of um you know of of christina with what she's been going through uh but it's it's something that i didn't even know about until i interviewed you so please come tell us about your chapter thank you very much and yes i just wanted to say that every single word that christina spoke resonated with me um my chapter is about DMDD, which is Disruptive Mood Dysregulation Disorder. It's relatively new. It was only put into the DSM 10 years ago. Um, and there are more resources now than there were when my daughter was diagnosed. My daughter's 18. Um, it is characterized by an overactive amygdala, by the child being in a constant state of fight or flight. And extreme emotional reactions to everything. So it's like living in a minefield. And there was so little known about it and so few resources that I was pretty much on my own and I was in survival mode for her entire childhood. I don't I don't know how I'm still standing, to be honest. Um, yeah. It's also very um, common for there to be other comorbidities such as anxiety, ADHD, and autism, which my daughter has all of those as well. Um, I think two of the biggest obstacles are professionals and the school system. They don't understand it and they often exacerbate it. Um, my daughter wound up dropping out of school at 16 because she just couldn't handle it anymore. And I did everything in my power to work with the school district, but they just, they just didn't they weren't able to help us. They couldn't, they didn't know what they were doing and they made it worse. Um, but now there are 
things that can be done. There's there's something called the Matthews Protocol, which is a medication um, protocol for children with this particular disorder, and it's been very promising. And because there's more resources and more knowledge about it, there are more professionals who can address it. Although it's still woefully, um, you know, not not there yet. Um, I belong to a group, a support group, and a lot of the parents are have kids that are much younger. And what I see constantly is the lack of support. Not only the lack of support, but actually hurting the parent, blaming them, and. So many of them have had CPS called on them for various reasons. Um, they have children who are dangerous in the house, who are violent and who are putting their siblings and their parents in danger. And when they get ready to be discharged from a hospital after 10 days, when the mother says, I don't feel safe picking my child up, they call CPS for abandonment. That's their response. Many, many of them have been denied any kind of inpatient care because they're told their child is too violent so just take them home and let them be violent with with you and your children um it's it's really a lot of dropping the ball um and the school system you know it's very rigid everything is you know all 30 kids in that classroom are, are expected to do the same thing in the same way at the same time with the same requirements and i know that it was school system caused me almost as much despair as having my child with this disorder it was awful. And when she finally did drop out, which obviously wasn't ideal, our relationship blossomed because she was able to not be in a situation that was causing her to throw up every morning before school and me having to force her to go because after they miss a certain number of days, we're dragged in for truancy. So it's a very, very difficult road. Um, and I am so happy to be a part of this book because it's the first step in making change and getting our voices heard. And I really appreciate being a part of it. Um, I've written my own book about my experience. I grew up with a mentally ill father and I'm raising a mentally ill daughter. And so I've put that in, into my own book too, which has been helpful. Um, and the organization that I'm using is um, St. Jude's Children's Hospital because they treat terminally ill children without regard to whether their families can pay. And they don't just treat the children, they care for the families, which is extremely important. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And we don't realize what some people are going through. And you know, as a society, we're very quick to judge and point fingers and cast assumptions without asking and understanding. And I think uh, as one chapter was about compassion, uh, we certainly need compassion across the board in parenting and understanding parents that are going through difficulties that they themselves don't understand. So our next guest is going to be talking about money and children. And that's something that I think is something extremely important as money can be deemed as something good or bad. And we can also reflect very much on our children on the way they use it or the way they perceive it or the way they go after it or feel entitled to it. So our next guest is Carla. Uh, Carla Vaughan. So Carla, please come and tell us all about your chapter. Well, my chapter is called Children and Money Concepts. Real simple. It comes from an excerpt of my book, which is The Money Source. And children really face so many obstacles, uh, whether you have uh, mental, emotional behavior issues, like what's already been talked about, um, or you have 
the you know deeper issues as well just go to the psychology and the emotional feelings that not just children but as parents too and as adults and as women and as men we face which is our relationship actually with money um, i am a speaker author and accountant and what i do is teach financial literacy to young people so they can hopefully and successfully adult. So my primary market is between the 16 and 25 year olds. So under the, the Money Source book, I really talk about what constitutes a healthy or an unhealthy relationship with money and how this has a tendency to define and condition us for what we think should be our self-esteem and our self-concept. I mean, we have seen so much happen just with COVID and how many tent cities came up and how much the um, temporary housing and the shelters got filled up because people could not financially support themselves. And this is a huge problem. And it's a huge problem because it's not taught in the schools. It's not taught in the churches. And a lot of times it's not taught at home. And sometimes it's simply not taught at home because we as parents or, or adults or caretakers don't really feel confident that we can pass down that information. So money concepts with children is extremely important because you want your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, whatever, to successfully adult. And part of that though is taking away the shame and the lack of miscommunication that surrounds money. My organization is called Financial Literacy First, first spelled out. So Financial Literacy First, just like it sounds. And what we do is provide online classes and in-person classes to individuals, groups, churches, organizations, so that they can help themselves, whether they're an adult, 25 to 55 year old, where we do power hours, or they're a child or youth or a teen where we're looking to do financial IQ classes. So we find this is super important because the problem we wanna solve and the problem we want to address in society are things like default on student loans, shame, guilt, believe it or not, suicide, homicide, is all sometimes related to finances, as well as financial crimes, which account for 86% of all crimes in America. We also want the young people to be able to adopt, be able to understand how and what it takes to support themselves. So Financial Literacy First is dedicated to that educational mission, as well as providing scholarships for our youth, and providing memberships and um, event-based programming to help involve the community on a larger scale. So that's me, I'm Carla Vaughn with Financial Literacy First. Thank you so much. And of course, you know, uh, having done many, many shows on money, uh, many people have issues with money. You know, what are they worth? Uh, is the label around them all the time of money, the lack of money or how to quickly, you know, get money. And I think that um, protecting our youth and educating them right from the word go about what the value of money is and how to use it, not to become a slave or a victim to it is extremely important. So thank you very much for your contribution in this chapter.
Our next wonderful person is Linda Orsini. Uh, call for love in our education. Oh gosh, do we need that? Welcome, Linda. So great to be here. Thank you. So I am the founder of Global Wellness Education and the podcast, A Call for Love, because as I was uh, finishing my career of over 30 years as a school teacher, I felt a deep calling for healing on the emotional level of parents, teachers, and students. I noticed when I was teaching that, as many people have shared here, the school system is like a lot of square pegs, and our children aren't all square fitting in that peg. Each one is different. And I discovered that a lot of our youth are experiencing emotional starvation. We are bombarded with busyness, although the pandemic did slow us down a bit, but uh, with technology and phones and games, I saw and noticed that the children are were emotionally starving for really deep presence. And many parents, me being one of them, because I was a teacher and parent, still parent, and it's very hard to juggle everything, you know, a full-time career, um, a family, bills, cooking, cleaning. There's a lot on parents now and having the time to emotionally be present for yourself, let alone everybody else in your life is a big stretch. And I noticed that the students really needed deeper presence from people to go slowly. I mean, as a school teacher, I saw students rushed in to the school because parents have a lot to do. So my mandate is, and my mission is to really be there for the adults in order to be there for the children. I feel that it doesn't matter what size our body is. We're all souls just living this human experience. And if we can really connect with the inner source of each person we see, especially in this context, our children, then we can be present for all their big emotions because they are struggling to regulate them. They're not old enough with um, their critical factory coming into their, their developed until nine to 12 years age to really understand and hold space for all their emotions. So in my chapter, I talk about my experience helping children move through their emotions and how we can be present. And as I share this, it's really important as adults that we are present to ourselves in order to put the oxygen mask on for our children. And I do believe with loving kindness and compassion Everyone needs to be seen, heard, respected, and loved, which is part of my podcast, A Call for Love. When you're not in a place of love, then there's a call for love. And so I really advocate for our youth who will be taking care of us as we get old, that we are there for them emotionally present with loving kindness and compassion as they navigate through struggles that are 
unthinkable sometimes. And so that is my mission and that is my calling. I am supporting Covenant House in the Ontario area. We have one in Toronto, Canada, and they serve people and young people, homeless or human trafficking, which really just twists my whole heart. Mm -hmm. And they offer respect and uh, kindness to help them navigate and create a life where they can feel safe and supported. And so I support Covenant House. So thank you. Thank you. And as a now person, I completely agree. Uh, we need to come from the inside out, not the outside in. And we are a reflection on our children. So the more we, <clears throat> excuse me, are present with self, uh, the more they learn to be present with themselves and listen to themselves in the now. So completely agree. So thank you so much. Our next guest is from London, UK, Duwati Bastillo. Um, she has a wonderful program of meditation for children and uh, about prayer and everything else. And I welcome Duwati to talk about her chapter. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me um, on this platform and so many amazing contributors. I'm, I'm honored to be part of the group. Um, so, as Sarah said, I'm a children and teens yoga teacher, so I work with the very young to young adults, and part of my work is sharing with young people, children, tools for them to self-manage their personal well-being. So I decided what I would do is share one of the tools that I share with youngsters in my chapter. So my chapter's on the ancient art of meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes when you introduce meditation to students, they will automatically sit there and go, mm. <laughs> and from their, their knowledge, they think um, simply that is meditation. But there is so much more to meditation. And it is such a powerful and empowering tool for, you know, every individual, whatever age they are. So, like, even if your world is going around in total chaos, it's like the hurricane. When you meditate, you go into the center of the storm and you connect with your peace and your strength and your calm within, then that empowers you and gives you more strength to deal with like the whole array of challenges that have been shared already from the other um, contributors of the book. Um, so in my chapter I've shared there's meditations can be fun for children. So it's not just sitting there going on. We have um, walking meditation, which is becoming more popular. We have mandala meditations we have coloring in mindfulness meditation, as well as sitting with, I share uh, breathing meditations and positive affirmation meditations to build self-esteem within a young person's mind, just to help them to cope with all the different challenges that they're, they're currently bombarded with. So my chapter just kind of just touches on meditation as a tool that parents can explore with their children and children can explore because it's such a powerful, tool to master for your personal well-being so that's why I chose to write about meditation so my voice is a bit hoarse because I've got a cold at the moment so I'm sounding a bit croaky join the class <laughs> but, um, yeah I mean the our young they have so many challenges that we didn't face when we were younger with all the technology and now with AI coming in I think meditation is one of one step above AI because I don't know if AI can meditate 
<laughs> in the same way the humans can meditate. So there you go. That shows our su superiority to AI. So through meditation, we can also access our own powers within as well, just to overcome different challenges that we might be facing. So, yeah, so I hope you enjoy reading my chapter on meditation. And what is your organisation that you're supporting? Ah, yes. So the organisation I've chosen to support is Save the Children Fund. So they are doing amazing work globally, helping young people all over the world who are currently in major crisis, you know, whether it's at home or abroad, they, there is a major crisis going on that they're doing valuable work for. So that's why I chose them. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And yes, I think if we can teach our children how to breathe and meditate and be still when they're children, um, it's something, a practice that goes with them throughout their life. So very often I think, you know, I've got grandchildren that do yoga with their mum and it's rather cute to see these little bums up in the air just copying mum. And I bet, you know, teach them young, right? So they've always got something to manage with. So the next person in the in the series is myself, Sarah Troy, and uh, my chapter has actually been on, you know, how my heart bleeds for the children today. What is going on that we see so many children uh, commit, committing senseless violence, stabbing people for the joy of it? Um, how lost they are, how disconnected they are, uh, more and more ways to connect with one another, more and more disconnection from themselves, who they are, what they are, and what they're here to do. And we're, I feel we're letting them down by leading them down a path of exterior expectation rather than the interior truth. And so my chapter is very much about that and what we can do about it, what we need to be aware of and how we can empower our children, you know, back into a consciousness of awareness, because I feel that they're almost droids out there just mindlessly doing without any connection, either to hide something, to suppress something, or just simply because they're flapping in the wind and disconnected. And uh, my organization that I'm uh, um, funding is actually my Fund Action pro uh, Program. The Fund Action Program is still in its infancy and it will be something that will be growing through this year. And what it does is uh, supports people who are in need of services from the people I've interviewed that are mentors here on the, the Orchard of Wisdom.org. And uh, through the, they will be, the people offering the services will be subsidized by the Fund Action Program to help people who need those services that can't afford them. Because after all, if we invest in them and help them become stronger, they're there in turn in their strength helping someone else. So the next person that I wish to interview is actually our publisher, uh, somebody that is uh, donating her services uh, to us to get this book out, Crystal Hill, uh, the founder of Hill House Publishing out of South, uh, out of Australia. So it is like six o'clock in the morning for her. Uh, she's been with us since five. So welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much. It's been so wonderful to hear all of the amazing contributors and authors sharing about their expertise. And I really want to congratulate you, Sarah, for bringing together such an incredibly diverse and, you know, ex diverse group of experts in, in awesome, helping children. Awesome. Because yes. <laughs> yeah, they are our future. So I'm I'm very honored to to um to sponsor and support this project. And um, I found it, I'm a solo mum myself of a 10 and 13 year old, 
and um, that comes with its own challenges and rewards as everything. So I'll, I'm really excited to be reading um, all of the chapters myself. And so a little bit about Hill House Publishing. I founded it in um, three years ago, and really our mission is to empower and yeah, empower the, the authors that are coming into our world to gain a deeper level of clarity around who they are, what they do, and why they do what they do in the world so they can show up with more charisma and confidence in the world and in turn then also empower, inspire, and educate the readers so that we can change the world and raise the vibration on the uh, of the planet and the consciousness on the planet one story, one person, and one book at a time. That is, that is what I'm committed to. That is what I love doing. I have a background in transformational coaching, tantra teaching, and theater. So this theme of empowerment and really making the world a bigger place has been something that I've you know, created and and been with throughout all of the incarnations in my career. I we specialize on doing multi-author books, compilation books, where people can come in and just share a chapter if a solo book is too daunting, or they want to have that community and feel like a solo book is just too, will take too much time. I also have a solo book incubator for those who are ready to create their solo book. And I love working with lead authors or book partners who are bringing their own community into a book so that we can help them bring their passion, their mission and their book into the world, such as this collaboration that we're doing here. And, you know, we don't uh, we don't work unless we all collaborate together. Um, I've interviewed every one of you on your Y show. Um, and it's been wonderful to to share all your stories, the inspiration that begets invitation, because it's through your inspiration that other people learn or discover or get ignited and go, well, if they can do that, I can do that. Or I didn't know you could do that. Or I didn't know how to do that. Or I'm inspired by what they've done. What else can I do? And that's what each and every one of your shows of your why shows has bought and also your author chapter shows um, where you talk about why you wrote the chapter and why you wanted to be even a part of this project i'm very very honored to have all of you on here um, this has been a passion in the works for five years i wanted to do this five years ago the timing wasn't simply right every time you think now the universe goes no just wait. And I'm glad I waited because what it ended up doing is bringing a wonderful compilation of people who come from the heart, who come from the soul, who are truly spirited about what they are doing and who they are doing it for. If we don't support the parents, how can we support the children? And those children without the parents, how do we bring love and, and compassion and understanding and enlightenment to them so that they become those beautiful, strong individuals, the leaders of our future. So I thank each and every one of you for contributing to this book. This is book one in the series. Um, I'm looking at it at least a book three, um, but also what we are going to be going into is that every year there will be what I call a philanthropy show, which is a show that we are then giving back. Not only are you receiving the wonderful information you're receiving but we're supporting those organizations doing the wonderful work the next book we're going to be doing is about the forgotten seniors because as a senior myself I know many of us have been forgotten and uh, <laughs> we've got a few hands there and we need to address that just as much as we need to address our youth but we will also be seeing another youth book coming up in the future and if in reading this listening to this if you feel you want to be a part of any one of those books please do reach out but we'll also be uh, doing coaching books 
and that would be a paid platform. And these coaching books will be sharing people's coaching expertise, uh, what they're doing and whom they are serving. And what we're going to also see from all of these wonderful authors is Ask the Author platform. It will be a paid platform where you can come in and ask the author about their chapter, about their topic, and anything else that you wish to ask them is that, you know, pick their brains on the subject and gain some wisdom. That will be starting in March, and there will be a whole platform on the orchardofwisdom.org Our Forgotten Children book tag. If you go on there, that whole platform will be coming up where you can sign up for your author and then we'll be giving you the dates that you come on in on them and you get to meet them just like this through Zoom. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. You get to meet them. You get to ask the questions and you get to learn something that maybe we really touched a chord with you today. And do you want to know further? Please support this book in any which way. Have a podcast podcast. Uh, a uh, show where everybody listens to this and then wants to get together and discuss it, have a book club and share. I didn't know this. I'd like to know more about this. How can we learn more? Because this is what this book is all about. It's awareness for careness and let's get into action and change those systems. You've heard repeatedly through here how the school system is letting our children down. It's not being inclusive. It's not supporting or listening to parents. We've heard about uh, other systems, medical systems, systems out there that if they don't understand it and it doesn't get into a box, then people just maybe down the road might pay attention to it. Everybody here is a parent driven by what they've seen and what they see that needs to change. Let's support them on the changes needed. Let's get this book out there. Let's start the conversation and let's start looking at the solutions that we can implement. I thank each and every one of you for contributing in this book. It has truly been an honor to have you join this book and be a part of it. So everybody, the book, is ready for pre-order. If you're listening to this later, then it means it's out, whether it's a, an ebook, paperback book or audiobook, get it in any which way, share it, converse. This is a very important topic. Let's be there for our forgotten children. So until next time, folks, bye-bye for now.